So Colossians chapter 2, tons in this. Uh, I really have been feeling, I think I've told you guys this over the past few weeks, but I really have been feeling like we've got this lack in not the American church per se, because that is a broad, broad brush. And I'm not going to go into what we're, when we talk about sects of Christianity from the Baptist to the Methodist to the whatevers. We're not talking about that. I'm just talking about the real church, like people that are really trying to walk in faith with Christ, that there is a real disconnect between what real discipleship is and looks like versus how they're walking around in this life right now. Um, I've been reading a a lot of pastors' blogs and pastors, uh, whatever you want to call it, their ministry pages where they put out these uh, teachings where you can read them. You can read the teaching. Some of these guys, uh, these teachings have been up for 10 years or more. Um, You can tell that there's not a huge budget, but there's some really good teaching out there. And one of the guys says, when I was a kid, I never, um, this is an older pastor. He goes, when I was young, I never heard people talk about this. Like, I'm really discouraged. I'm walking around discouraged. Um, I'm feeling kind of depressed in my faith. There's so much of this. He said, I've never seen so much. Then in the past, like, 15 to 20 years, he goes, it's just ramping up and ramping up. And one of the reasons is, not the reason, but one of the reasons is because people don't understand their completeness in Christ. They don't understand that the finished work is enough to get you through this life. It's not just enough to forgive you. It's enough to get you through this life but many don't feel it. And feelings is what we're gonna kinda attack through some of these uh, letters to the churches through Paul. Um, We'll be shooting through a few of them over the next year um, because they all have something, I think, that is more relevant now than it has ever been because of the age that we live in right now where feelings are how people make decisions now. They, They make decisions with their heart. They act with their heart. They don't even think about like, ooh, this maybe wouldn't be a good idea. Uh, let, me, let me seek wise counsel. Let me go talk through this with my pastor. Or let me go, people that love Jesus first and then love me and not people are trying to, they have an angle or they, they want something from me. But how would I, how would I kind of break this down if I had some time to think and not just react? And that's what Paul's sort of addressing in this chapter, but certainly in the next, which we'll get to. So many people are walking around discouraged. Why? Because they don't understand their completeness in Christ. And one of the reasons is because they don't feel complete in Christ. They don't feel assured. They don't feel like they're saved. And there's a real interesting dynamic to that, which we're going to tear into. But they feel incomplete. They feel not enough. The Bible teaches that the Christian who understands everything that they have in Christ is positionally, it's an interesting word, positionally complete. means fully pleasing to God means nothing that you can do for God would make you any more pleasing to him. Because God's pleasedness in you, that's not really a word, but we'll throw it in there. His pleasedness in you has nothing to do with you. And that should be, that should be awesome. I don't know that it is sometimes, but it should be a relief. Because the pleasedness has to do with his son, not you, not me. So God's not going, you better not mess up. You better not mess this up. You better not mess up relationships. You bet he's not doing that because Jesus already did it. He put everything on Christ and Christ knocked it out of the park and then started teaching and then started giving people the Holy Spirit so they could be taught by God himself and not these leaders that were always opposed to Jesus. They were Jewish. They were in Jesus' own tribes. They were uh, countrymen, if you will. 
Jewish people, Israelis, huge, huge tie to country. It's a big deal. And yet they hated Jesus. Why? Because Jesus taught real teaching. He taught how to get to God, and it had nothing to do with man. It had nothing to do with philosophy. It had nothing to do with tradition. It had nothing to do with the scriptures. It had to do with relationship. The positional truth of any Christian is that they are saved. They are adopted into the family of God. They possess completeness because of Christ in them, the hope of glory, which we talked about last week. However, many struggle with this truth um, really, really quickly. A cool story, I always think about this position because my mind, um, I was kind of raised by a dad who was like an investor, liked to buy stock, liked to buy positions and limited partnerships and all this stuff that was really big in the 80s. And he, he would talk about, you know, I have this position in this company or I have this position of stock, whatever that, whatever that meant to an eight-year-old listening to him. And I was listening to him with, you know, five years open. I wanted to hear about this stuff. I was really interested in this stuff. So I read this book years back. Um, by this uh, con man named Barry Minkow. I th think I've actually mentioned this to you guys before. A former con man turned pastor after prison. Very sketchy life. So don't, don't just look at the, if you do look him up, don't look at all of it um, and think, oh, well, he's a pastor, so he must be a good guy because he got arrested again after he became a pastor, which unfortunately does happen a lot. Um, probably more than it should. Definitely more than it should. Uh, but he, he turned this company in the 80s, which was a carpet, carpet restoration business, he turned it public with the help of mob lawyers in the early 80s. Before, uh, before tickers on your phone and before stock positions emailed to you like, hey, your, your portfolio's down. I get that emailed to me daily right now. Your portfolio's down. It's in the toilet. Uh, your position stinks. We, before all that. So you had to go and you had to literally either watch television you had to go down to these places that had the wire. They were like piped into the wire. That's how you found out what your stock position was doing. Anyway, he turns this company public in the early 80s, and in his early 20s was worth, I think, $80 million. 80s, guys, 40 years ago, maybe more. He uh, had a position of millionaire. But as you know, when you start a company and you do what's called an initial public offering and you offer it to the public, uh, an American stockholder that would be part owner of a company. If you buy a stock, you're, you're one millionth or one billionth owner of this company, and so you're an owner. So the owner who gets a position of stock can't cash out that stock for a period of time. Why? To avoid this con of throwing this huge company out there and having everybody go, oh my gosh, it's going to go to the moon, buy the stock. It's, it's starting off at five bucks a share, and by the end of the day, it's ten. And a year from now, it's two cents. That's pretty much what happened in this case. Positionally, he was a millionaire. Realizationally, he was not. He didn't have much money. There are many Christians continuing on in legalism, believing lies, many isolated, feeling isolated, especially in the last few years. They're not in sync with the position they have in Christ. Verse 1 of Colossians chapter 2 says from Paul, for I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Why had they not seen his face in the flesh? Because he was in prison. Doesn't sound like a guy who's pretty that negative. Doesn't sound like jail's really that much of a bummer. The conflict that he has is that he can't see you in the face to deliver this uh, message in person, this letter in person, which was how they did things back then. Uh, writing letters now is like a nostalgic thing, right? 
writing somebody a letter and mailing it. My kids do this. It's like they're like throwbacks. They're like from they're like from hundred years ago. Children, um, they write letters to friends through the mail in this town, and because of the great efficiency, um, you know, you got these little these these little. Uh, whatever, uh, Hallmark-type cards that weigh a ton, and it's kind of a cool thing for them. It's like a little package that they get in the mailbox. He says, I I have this great conflict. It's very difficult when you read this at first pass to understand the real tone, the heart that Paul had, because this church was starting off in Western Turkey. You can go to this if you do the Israel tour that visits the churches in Western Turkey, you can go to these places, Laodicea, um, uh, Colossae. Some of these places are are still towns and some of them are not, Uh, but it's a cool thing. Some of you guys have done that in the last few years. There was trips like that. Uh, But he can't go because he is in prison. He says, I've got this this conflict that your hearts, verse two, may be encouraged being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance. Not a little bit of assurance, the full assurance of understanding. There's so much in that we could literally spend a sermon on that sentence alone. Not even the whole verse. Verse two could be two weeks. To the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. Uh, once again, this, this mystery, Paul talks about that he uses the word mystery many times in this book. He uses it a, a bunch of times because it is a mystery to people. It would have been more of a mystery to the Hebrews because the Hebrews were like, hey, you can't talk to God. You know, from what we knew back in the day, you can't just approach God. You can't just pray. You can't just throw out a prayer and God's listening. The mystery that was hidden was that God came down. God put on flesh. God showed us the way. He showed us how to serve. He showed us how to love. He showed us how to not worry. A lot of people need to hear that, to not worry. We talked a few weeks back about the temporal. There's a line someplace, this invisible line, and everything down here is physical, earthly, uh, tangible, what we can touch, what we can feel, what we can smell. We experience these things through our body, the flesh, on this earth, that's how we relate. You can touch stuff, you can feel stuff, you can pet animals, it's cool, it's awesome. But that's only this half. The other half is the eternal. Colossians chapter three, hey, keep your eyes on the heavenlies. Don't just, don't just think only about stuff down on, here on earth. Well, a lot of us are so invested in the earth that what's going on, on the earth is terrifying. And so we end up a little more anxious and a little more scared than we should be. We flip. When we hear the bad news, we, we, look at, we look at our Bitcoin positions and we go, oh my gosh, did I lose a lot of money this year? Yes, yes, we have. And you know what? It is okay. I will live past the losses of Bitcoin, crypto, all these words that we didn't even know, I didn't even know 10 years ago or more. Guys, I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be knit together. It, it, once again, we talked last week and the week before about union. Union, when you marry when Shannon and I got married, we became one. The, the flesh, the two people became one. It's knit together in love. Christ's love, the Spirit of God, the, what we call the fruits of the Spirit, which is the leadoff, love. That's what Christ was trying to give us. He was trying to show us how you really love people and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding. The full assurance of understanding, a lot of folks don't have. A lot of people aren't latching onto that. They're not holding onto it in our day. 
We live in discouraging times. Yes, turn on any television channel that is supposedly news, okay? Left and right of center. And you will be bummed out if your hope is in what those people are going to tell you. You're going to have the worst day of your life. But every day, it's Groundhog Day. Great movie. Every day, if you buy into left or right, whatever the news is, even people actually reporting news, which is about 1% of what's on the internet, even that is bad news. Now, once again, I, I don't want to... I've been accused of talking about Caleb a lot. And so I'm going to give Caleb some, some more props today. Sometimes it doesn't sound like I, I love Caleb. But when they talk about the positive, encouraging stories, I go, wow, what is it? What's, what story is out there that's positive? A child that would have been bit by an alligator in Florida, be, made friends with it, and they started a lemonade business? Not real stories, but something like that. A kid you know, started a lemonade stand or started selling cookies door to door and paid for somebody's surgery. Awesome. I love hearing it. Doesn't change my life either way. Doesn't change my mindset either, either other way in any way. Left or right, listening to the stuff that comes in through the local news, the national news. If I, if I hang my star to that, if I get involved in that, I'll be a, an emotional wreck. I'll just be all over the place. But then there's this encouragement. Then there's this, this unity, this union of people in Christ that comes to us by this mystery that a lot of people understand one half of. That's why we quote the, the rest of the gospel, of this book that I'm going through, because it, it, it allows us, could you put that picture up there? I don't know if it's, up, if it's available up there. I took this with my phone, so that's why it's off center, and you can see words underneath it, because that's the lighting of the next page. But you, what you have is you've got the eternal and the temporal, which we just talked about, the down here and the up there. And my spirit, when I came to Christ, my spirit became unionized, if you will, almost like the Audi symbol or the Olympic symbol. They're together with the Holy Spirit. That's what happens when you legitimately invite Christ in. But then there's the swing. And we go through this swing of bad and good. How you doing? Uh, kind of bad. Why? Uh, it's a bad day. Why? There's so much stuff. I went to Costco today. Somebody cut me off again in the parking lot. I know I mentioned that a lot. Clearly, I struggle with Costco. And then there's the days that are good. Somebody called you up and said, wow, your sermon was really good. Thank God, because yesterday all I got was negative. Great. Now I'm doing good. Who is going to save me from this swing? Well, partly... I'm going to have to understand that my body and soul, my physical body and my mind, my soul, my personality, crazy Dan, ADD Dan, is swinging like a swing, like a huge swing. Thank you, brother. Just crazy from bad to good. And some days I'm good and some days I'm bad and some days I'm like going to lose it. And, and my road rage is right there because people just, now they just pull out right in front of you. The best one is, is now, this happens to me almost every week now, is you're driving on Grant Road, which I use every single day, unfortunately, because we don't believe in freeways in this town. So I'm driving on Grant and someone kind of inches up to turn right and then they stop and you're like, oh, thank God, they're not, and then they pull out. After like, oh, well, the smart person would go, yeah, that's too close, one, 1,000, two, then pull out. That one drives me nuts. That one swings me, not to bad, but way worse. Far left of bad. This is the great conflict. This is the issue with Christians. We live in a country where there's 8,000 choices a day, 
and there's just so much that I can be involved in, and there's so much that I can learn about, and there's so many YouTube videos and 8 million channels, and I always wanted to figure out how to fix my own plumbing. I'm going to become a plumber. This guy on YouTube is going to tell me, hey, if you're an idiot, watch my channel. Oh, I'm watching. I'm going to figure out how to, how to change the, the innards, the plastic innards in my... I can't do it still, but I just wasted three hours watching this guy, and I still can't do it. It's a $10 repair that my buddy, the plumber, does in 15 seconds. And he just pats me on the back. It's okay, Dan. It's okay. This isn't your field. This isn't your lane. Stay in your lane. So I need to understand the full assurance of understanding to this mystery, this mystery that we just talked about up there, which is that I am still emotional. I still feel. I still get sad. I still get really, really excited about it trips and travel and all these things but the spirit's still up there the spirit is still like when somebody preaches something to you and you're like man that is so true and your your spirit just goes yes it, it like it like locks down on that truth you're like that is that's where my real heart is that's where i, I want to be with the lord i want to be out of here I, I cannot wait to see god i cannot wait to talk to god about that and so there's this this kind of conflict that we struggle with day in and day out. And the riches of full understanding is what we really need to, like we really need to grasp this. We really need to grasp that the soul is a mess. It's messed up. But the spirit is not. If you're in Christ, if you have come to Christ, your spirit is locked in with him at the top of that swing. But not on this side of eternity. It's up with him. God wants you and I to be assured of our salvation, to understand this mystery, which it really is. He wants us to have understanding of not only our faith, but the position, positionally who you really are, who you really are, who I am when I get, when I get flipped out and I go to Costco. That's not who I really am. I really need to stop. I really need to like, okay, is this going to kill you? No, it's not. I got to just let this person pass me at Costco. Well, that's the hardest thing I've done today, Lord. Is just let somebody take the parking spot. Why is this such a conflict? Because I'm a mess. That's why. It's the biggest issue in my life is that I don't really understand why it, it, it consumes, why it rents so much space in my head. Solomon was asked by God, what do you want from me? And he goes, I want wisdom. I want like the, the highest amount you've ever given to anybody. And I used to read that and go, oh man, that's like Aladdin. He like rubbed the, he rubbed the, the pot, right? And then three, the genie comes out, Robin Williams, hilarious. And then he gets three wishes. It's like, if you ask for the right thing, then you have two more left over. That wasn't Solomon's deal. He wasn't, he wasn't like, oh, if he gives me, if I, get, if I get the right answer, I'll get a bunch more. No, but he blessed him with everything else because he asked for the right thing. He wanted to be wise. You, you and I live in the information age. We've been hearing this for a long time. The internet ushered in all amounts of information right at our fingertips anytime we want it. And yet, information is also what drives us crazy because our lives are no longer simplistic. They're not like, hey, what are you doing today? Well, I'm walking out to my farm and I'm just going to grab as many crops as I can today. And that's it. I'm not returning texts or phone calls or emails. Because 100 years ago, that's what they did. And they knew their lane and they stayed in their lane. And families farmed or families did this trade or that trade. And you just stayed in your lane. Now everybody has eight side hustles. Now everybody's driving for Uber or DoorDash or whatever. The third job, the fourth job, the sixth job that they have. 
And so they don't, have enough, they don't have enough time to come to church. They don't have enough time to sit down and really talk to God. They don't really have enough time to like, listen to, hey, I'm, I gotta work on Sunday. I'm gonna listen to a sermon. I'm gonna, listen, I'm gonna take some time and I'm gonna allow for a passage of scripture to be read to me, like, like illuminated and, and really kind of like dug into. I don't have time for that. I gotta go to the airport. I gotta pick somebody up. I gotta go uh, drop off somebody's uh, cold cheeseburger. Seriously, guys, we're, we're paying people to drive cold cheeseburgers to ourselves. What is going on? Just go get it yourself. Walk to McDonald's and get it. Although that's probably not good for your health. Um, I should put that in there. To be a wise person and to have godly knowledge is to be put on the best footer, the best foundation to live in this world. Wisdom that comes with a close walk with Jesus. Does it mean you're not going to swing sometimes to the left? No, it does not. But it means that as you grow closer, as you draw your, your spiritual assurance and all of these things that Paul's talking about, your spiritual knowledge will increase and you will struggle less than you did when you were a younger, smaller Christian. And you grow tall and rooted in Christ. And you will see these things fall off. Not because you're so smart and not because you memorized Titus or whatever, but because you know the one that is in you, the one that saved you, the one that wants to be everything and wants to show us how to actually live in a world like this. Verse four, so all that said, he goes, now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. Boy, that is one of the hardest things. And he says it again in eight, in verse eight. This is all about philosophy. This whole thing, uh, this whole uh, first 10 verses, which of course I won't get to, all of them, but the definition of philosophy is the study of the fundamental nature of knowledge. So we're clearly not, when we're talking about spiritual knowledge, we're not talking about philosophy one-on-one at the U. We're not talking about that. We're talking about real knowledge. But philosophy's definition is the study of the fundamental nature of knowledge, reality, and existence, especially when considered as an academic discipline. I had a buddy that was brilliant, and he got a full ride uh, when he was only 21, a full ride to a Ivy League school to study philosophy, to teach, to be a TA. Therefore, he did not pay for his doctorate. He got paid to get a doctorate. And I remember many, many years back going and staying at his house and listening to him talk. And he used to go to the church that I went to. And right now, if you were to listen to him right now, it doesn't sound like he's ever even heard of the Bible. He wants nothing to do with it, completely out. Like all of it to him is foolishness because he bought into a specific academic discipline and their take on knowledge, their take on humanity, and their take on existence. And now he has abandoned all of this. Paul says, be careful about this, lest anyone deceive you with persuasive words. Oh, the words are persuasive. The arguments are persuasive. This neo-Buddhism that's floating around, oh, it is good. It is really good because they ripped off all of Jesus' actually actual words and twisted them and threw these words uh, that are attached to them, these, these new words that are attached to them. And so people go, oh, so I just need to be about me and I just need to be about eliminating my suffering and I guess I am kind of like a god. Oh, it sounds wonderful. That's not true. But it sounds great. It sounds really, really slick. 
And guess what the best part about deception is? You will not know that you are being deceived. You will not know anything except for you'll just buy it. You'll just buy whatever it is. So there's so many persuasive people on this planet. They can sell their ideas to the masses. They can sell their vitamins to you. They can sell their two-week class, Tony Robbins, down in South Florida. People paying five, $6,000 to have Tony Robbins scream uh, four-letter words at them and shock them out of their issues. And he's really persuasive, guys. He's really, really persuasive. I would almost argue that what Tony Robbins is selling is a religion. It is certainly a cult. But it sounds so good, and he's so wealthy and, and so smart and so he's so put together and it's so crafty. The deception though that, that comes through persuasive words. Verse five, for though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit. There it is again, the flesh and the spirit, the temporal and the eternal. Though I am absent in the flesh, I can't physically be with you because I'm in jail yet I am with you in spirit, and I'm rejoicing right now in a jail cell. Most people don't do that. Rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ the Lord, so walk in him. Walk in the Lord. Walk in the word. Walk with Christ in this life. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. All of these things. So last week, I, uh, I found these flowers on the sidewalk, I told you, and I wanted to see what would happen after a week of self-effort, of this little garbage daisy that always comes in monsoon in this town, trying to make life out of itself, trying to sustain itself. I'm going to be honest with you. If you look at last week's video, it didn't look like this. It looked a whole lot better. This one was the better one, and the flower petals were out, and it was ready to shine. But there's been, it hasn't been grafted into life, and it hasn't been given any life. So it's been like many Christians, just trying to create life in itself, down here, in the flesh, in the temporal, in the soul. And yet it can't do it. Because how you do this is to be rooted and built up in him. That's, that's what Paul, I mean, it's like Paul doesn't, Pull punches. This isn't a long letter. First sentence of seven. Rooted and built up in him. If you are not, you could know, like the Pharisees, all of the Bible. You could know it all and you could recite it and they could recite it. Most of those Pharisees knew the Old Testament, the, the books that they had in Jerusalem at Jesus' time. They knew it. They could write it down for you. Clearly, the scribes knew it. Many commentators that, that talk about this say that Paul wrote several letters from jail. And I believe that Paul would have been in the flesh and hand-delivered these letters if he could have. That's why, I, that's why I believe them. A lot of guys say this. Yet his position, positionally, is that he's in prison rejoicing. Most people wouldn't. I know I would have a real struggle with that. My guess is that his feelings were not excited about his present condition. Paul talks about this. Romans, I think it's 6, 7, and 8. He lays out the whole thing. He lays this out for us. Why do we struggle with sin? Why do we struggle in this life? Because we still have a flesh. Because we're not detached from it yet. We won't have tons of time to get back to this, but um, I want to read this, um, this, 
just real quick thing uh, from the other half of the gospel that talks about this swing. If you have that picture, you can throw it back up there. To experience our union with Christ, the Holy Spirit has to give us revelation on two truths. First, we have to have a, re- a revelation that we died in Christ. It's one of the reasons, once again, we, we do the baptism where we submerge people in. It's like a picture that you'll never forget of you going down. You died that day. And how you come back up is through the, the Spirit's resurrecting power. Between, um, so, so we have a revelation that we died in Christ, that we are dead to sin, dead to the law, and dead to ourselves as our point of reference. Second, we have a revelation on the difference between soul and spirit and how to manage it. Because managing life is a tricky thing, but we need to learn how to do it. Until these two truths become fixed in our spiritual consciences, we're not ever going to truly live out union with Christ. Satan will keep telling us the old you isn't really dead. These thoughts and feelings are the real you. That's who you are. When you, uh, you flip out on your worst day, that's who you are and that's where it stops. Otherwise, you'd be doing good if you were like Jesus. That's what he tells us all the time. The lies, they never stop in this life. Aren't you ashamed to be such a wretched sinner as to have thoughts and feelings such as this? Once again, read Romans 6, 7, and 8, and you'll understand that Paul, the author of this letter, the guy I call the all-star of the New Testament, calls himself chief of sinners. I don't agree with him, but let's believe that Paul's correct on that. Shocking that anybody like him would say that. So once again, we're going to wrap this up because, of course, I've gone long. A great example of this is when you and I are walking in the Spirit, and let's say God allows you to minister to somebody who's really in need, really, really struggling, really, they just need someone to talk to. They need somebody to pray for them. They're, they're at their wit's end. They're really struggling with the swing. They're trapped. They're just all in the flesh, all in their head. It happens all the time. And in this moment, God just gives you stuff to say to them. He gives you these words, and they're like, this is like life to me. Thank you. And the Spirit of God just like giving you scriptures that you don't really know by memory that well, but you're saying them, and they're like, wow, I so needed to hear that. And then you leave, and you turn left on Grant. (laughs) One thing leads to another, and you are trying to uh, outspeed somebody on Grant. So how did you swing that quick? Because swings swing quick. You ever been on one? A real tree swing? Fast. You can get from there to there in less than three seconds. And that's what happens with us. And so what do we do? Satan's like, oh, perfect. You just gave somebody fresh water, and now you're bitter water. You are not a real Christian. That's what he shoots into your head. And guess where it stays? It's tattooed in there. Be careful how you control your feelings, your emotions, when you're making an important decision, when you're ministering to somebody. Your emotions of the soul have been created by God to respond to God, to be thankful for his plan. God sets up contrast. He sets up, you know, how we know a good day because we've had a bad day. Like when we're really, really struggling and God just speaks life into us, we're like, oh my gosh, that's relief. That's amazing. Emotions aren't a bad thing. God gave them to us. You don't think that Jesus was highly emotional in the garden? 
God Almighty is struggling with what he has to go through? How is this possible? When he was sleeping, when the disciples were on the boat, that seemed like, well, that's nothing. That's just a little cyclone coming over the, the Jordanian mountains by the Galon Heights or whatever it's called. That's nothing. Well, he's sleeping down below. Why? Because he's resting in God. But now comes the real deal. Now comes broken fellowship. Now comes sin. Now comes everything on you. Now comes all of the 12, well, now 11, because everybody's already bailed out or Judas is already gone. Now we've got Peter who just said 15 minutes back, I'll never leave you. Even if these guys, these 10, you mean your brothers that you're selling out like 15 feet away from Jesus? Even if these guys leave you, I'll never leave you. I'll go to the death with you. Oh yeah, Peter? There's a rooster that you're gonna hear in about six hours and by that time, you'll have already denied me three times. Not me. Not me. I'm, I just told you you were the Messiah not too long ago. Yeah, and then you got in your flesh, and I called you Satan. So I'm trying to show you guys that this can happen. You're not going to get it for a while because you don't have life in you yet. You don't have the Spirit, so you're dead flowers, guys. And you're all going to bail out on me, and that hurts too because I am real and I have feelings. And then Jesus started sweating blood in the garden. Something that a lot of us don't even really understand how brutal that must have been. And then Jesus, his prayer request was denied more than once. Sometimes we feel like that. Briefly, be careful of the emotions of the soul making decisions because the old sin nature will seek for dominance of the flesh rather than fellowship with the spirit. When you're really weak, there's a song we used to sing, my spirit is hungry, but my flesh is so weak. That is a lot of people in our day and age. Maybe it's always been the same. And so we, we have to be careful about these decisions. That's why good counsel, good godly wise counsel, seeking lots of friends out for this, very important. But lastly, if you are really a true Christian, then you already are complete right now. You may not feel that way, but you are complete. There's nothing more that, there's no more saving coming your way. There's no more forgiveness coming your way. Oh, I only forgave you until the year 2024. Sorry, you better ask for more. God doesn't just give us these intervals. It's all gone. It's all forgiven. It's all separated. But sometimes the issue is you haven't realized it yet. Positionally, you, don't, you, don't, you haven't realized it yet. A few months ago, maybe your home was worth 20% more than it is today. Likely 30% in this town. If you had a rental property with equity in it, Christmas was the time to sell it, or at least put it on the market, because you had a position of lots of equity. But you couldn't realize it until you sold it. The term realization in this case is to convert the equity into cash by selling it. But in our case, it's just realizing it. Realizing it how? through being rooted and built up and established in the faith. Your relationship with Christ, your personal relationship with Christ is how you grow in this. It's not, it's not something fleshly God's asking you to do. He's not asking you, uh, I need, I, there's a checkbox and you need to check all these 10 things and once you do those, then you can get to the next level. It's not like that. Many Christians walk around not knowing this position. I want to read very, very quickly as we close, just a couple of verses and we'll be done. Hebrews chapter 4, uh, just, just verse 12, uh, actually. For the word of God 
is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God's the one. God's the discerner. God will give you discernment if you ask him for it, if you walk in a relationship with him, if you draw your life from him, he will divide these two. He will show you what's the real you and what's the flip out. He will show you your position in him. He really will. But most people have been told through one reason or another or some class they took or something they saw on the online that they have to do all these other things. No, you just got to plug in. You got to plug into the life, the life that made the disciples completely terrified, completely messed up before Christ died and then leading a church of thousands less than two months later. It wasn't because Peter got smarter. It wasn't because Peter realized so much more. It was because Jesus goes, receive the Holy Spirit. That's your teacher. All right, I'm way over. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you again for your word. God, we thank you that you offer us life. We thank you that you offer us this, um, this rest in the soul. God, that we would enter into that rest that we would enter into that relationship, God, that we would be excited about it even though things may be really going bad for us down here, that our minds would be fixated on things above, not on things just on the earth. Uh, God, uh, I pray for those that are sick. I pray that for those that are depressed and hurting, uh, for whatever it is, Lord, that you would um, show this truth to them, God, that they would reach out for help, that they would uh, find someone that can love on them, that someone that can help them through this tough time in Jesus' name, amen.